like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Richard Bruxford Colligan joins us today for Song of the Soul. He's a singer-songwriter with a degree from Union Theological Seminary in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, and his website proudly proclaims that he cooks fudge, mac and cheese, and gluten-free pizza, so you know he's a talented man. Prepare yourself for some beautiful and powerful melodies and a deep heart. He joins us by phone from the northeastern corner of Iowa. Richard, it's great to have you here today for Song of the Soul. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Where exactly in northeast Iowa do you live? I live with my family in a little town called Strawberry Point. Have you been here? I don't know. I've certainly been through the area. My wife is from Iowa. She's from the Amana Colonies. Yeah. I've wandered around that area, Decorah, and other areas that might be related to where you are. How far are you away from Decorah? We're about an hour south pretty small town. We just have uh, four corners in town with stop signs, and there's one gas station and one place to get pizza, and pretty much like Mayberry. Okay, it's a metropolis, is what you're saying. It's huge. But you're from Minnesota originally? Yeah, I grew up in Rochester. Okay, so you're just a little bit of a migration south. So how long have you been in Strawberry Point? We've been here about 10 years. Got this old farmhouse. I think the abstract says it was built in uh, 1904. It was been added on to a couple times, and yeah, we love it. It's got a lot of character. Is that a good launching place for your musical career, for your touring and all of these presentations that you do? What's the nearest large town? Well, sometimes people ask us, why do you live in Strawberry Point? Like, my wife and I are both freelancers, so we can kind of live any place as long as there's a good internet connection. So we're about an hour from any place sizable. But there's something about the, I was going to say isolation, but it's not that, the quietness, I guess, here that really helps us kind of feel anchored. We've got wonderful neighbors, and our family is fairly connected to earth kinds of things. So, for instance, today my wife and son are doing gardening and breaking the ground for the first time here, and the early spring comes, and that's just a great feeling to be in a small place where we're going to see our neighbors walking down the street as we do that. So small-town Iowa has been wonderful for us. Well, you do a lot of different programs. Where's the main force of where your music goes out to? I mean, you really have many different musical ventures going on. Yeah, I kind of do. I really started as a singer-songwriter in college, writing songs just for myself, kind of autobiographical, documenting my thoughts and feelings and such. But I've really grown into a place where my fascination and my passion is how we can sing songs together, how small groups or large groups sing together. And that's where I find some roots in the folk tradition. Pete Seeger, for example, is, uh, I just watched that documentary of him a couple weeks ago, and I really resonated with, oh my gosh, he's, he's singing with a stadium full of people with his voice and his banjo, and everyone is singing in harmony. That is some kind of power. 
I'm just fascinated with what happens in our formation as people when we sing together. And there's different reasons to sing, and there's different purposes for our singing. And there's different ways to feel, maybe, when we're with people when we sing. So almost all my work right now is songs that are singable for groups. And which kind of groups do you tend to sing with? Right now, I am studying the Psalms, and it's an immersion that has been, let's see, what am I into here? The seventh year of studying the Psalms, and I probably have three or four more to go. And so I'm writing congregational songs for each of those 150 Psalms. Most of those songs are for a Christian worship kind of context, although there are some that are are used in other ways too, 12-step meetings and meditation services, for example. But I'm fascinated by the Psalms right now. It's just the best spiritual practice I've ever had. And it just involves studying each of the Psalms, reading some commentaries, some translations. Toward the end, when the time is ripe, writing one or two or three community songs, kind of like, if this is important, if this ancient song of Israel has anything to say for spiritual formation now, what would that be? And maybe it's worth singing together. Maybe it's worth embodying with our voices and hearing our community sing that together. And so your website, worldmaking.net, is that related to that work that you've been doing with the Psalms and other forms of liturgical music? Yes, worldmaking.net is sort of the place I house all that stuff that is intended to be for congregations to sing together, really across denominations. But I grew up as a Lutheran in Rochester, Minnesota, so a great liturgical tradition where I learned that a song can be a prayer and a prayer can be a song. I know that even before I could read, I knew prayers and hymns because in the liturgy, it's just, you know, you're immersed in it week after week. And so I love what the power of a song can do. It can just find a home in you. One of my favorite song leaders and theologians is John Bell from the Iona community. He says a good song is something we can teach to our children to prepare them for their deathbed. That is, a good song gets in our bones and we can carry it with us all the time. It's a reminder of our roots and it's a hope for our future. I love that idea, the power of a song. So worldmaking.net is all about publishing songs like that. And, of course, you do lots of other kinds of music as well. I I should mention that there's any number of websites that you're connected with. People can find them via northernspiritradio.org. But in particular, some of your personal music, kind of your folk music stumping, I think, is connected via richardacoustic.com which is a new last name for you, I guess, now, (laughs) (laughs) richardacoustic.com. Why don't you get us started with some of your music, some of your personal music? Sure. Thank you, Mark. You know, let's start with an older song. This is kind of in the singer-songwriter realm. This is a song called If I Were a Duck. I'm a person that, though I've studied theology and undergrad and psychology and stuff, I've, I've realized through that study I am a person that tends to overthink things. Do you know anybody like this? Let me think about that for a while. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Maybe we could break into small groups and discuss and come back together. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So my wife and I sort of tease each other about that sometimes. So this is written in in a way to sort of play with that idea. It's good to have animals in our lives. We have a dog and several cats. And I love having pets because they trust their instincts. They just follow their groove. You know, they know that they need to know nothing other than 
hey, I'm here and I'm doing my thing. They don't think about, gee, should I sleep? Should I curl up and sleep by the window or the living room? Which would be right? Which would be best? Which is, oh, I just don't know. So this is about overthinking and about the idea that you can trust that you know what you need to know. If I Were a Duck by Richard Ruxford Colligan. Colligan, his song, If I Were a Duck. I'm thinking, Richard, that having written that song, I assume you go out there looking for other people who've written anthropomorphic songs or whatever. Uh, do you know Fred Smalls, If I Were a Moose? No, no, we need to meet and collaborate. <laughs> he was my guest for Song of the Soul just, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. He didn't feature that song on it, but actually it's something might be near and dear to uh, Iowan's heart. The song, which is at least 20 years old, says, If I were a moose and you were a cow, would you marry me anyhow? Would you take me to meet your folks? Would you tell your friends no moose jokes? <laughs> I think you might relate. I don't know. <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> so, yeah. So do you go out there and collect songs that are of the genre? I love to hear songs that, that make me smile or, or laugh. I just love to laugh. Yeah, so playful things are always great. If I were a moose, yes, let's get into that. You do have a sense of humor. That's something I value in a songwriter. Sometimes if people get too serious, it, it's a problem. I noticed on your website, your richardacoustic.com website, you have a glowing recommendation. It says, Richard's music is better than anything on earth. Everyone likes him and people should hire him right now. Richard's mom. 
<laughs> I, I guess you're not ashamed to have humor, and, and being theological doesn't tear you away from that. Well, that's probably pretty important. It is easy to get serious about theological things and, you know, what is my commitment to this idea about God and the world and humanity and, and all that, but it seems to me our our livelihoods are very much connected to a, also a, a lightness, and maybe sometimes that means letting our minds go and concentrating on the heart. I don't think it's that dualistic, but just sort of paying attention to life will tend to make you laugh at yourself, it seems to me. Well, if I were a duck, was a good way to get that going. The music on there is kind of funky, uh, kind of gets you grooving. You've already said that there's a certain uh, attraction that folk music has to you. Have you covered the gamut? Have you been, you know, classical, jazz, all of those varieties of music? Not so much. You know, I think I've just followed my own interest, really, in music. I was kind of raised with my dad's ragtime records in the house and got Joplin and show tunes and a lot of the Beatles. So I kind of took all that in, enjoyed all that, Christmas music. Middle school and high school, I was into 80s rock, so just listened to the radio all the time. And I started out playing violin, and then when I discovered that I really loved to sing, I decided I needed an instrument to sort of accompany myself. So I picked up a guitar, and many of the morning I woke up and just sat in front of the stereo with my guitar and just tried to figure out all the chord progressions for whatever was coming on next. So I think that was my influence early on, kind of a pop folk style probably, but I think it's always been very melodic which is, I guess, what's the most accessible part of the song. If you want to teach a group to sing a song, it better have a pretty clear melody and lyrics that really are wed well to that melody. So I think that's my starting place with most of my writing. Well, then get us going with some more of that fine music that you've been writing. And so we get a flavor of this experientially. All right. Let's do a very different kind of song from the duck song. This is one of my psalm songs. It goes with Psalm 27. There's kind of three chunks to this text from Psalm 27. And this is the very last line of that psalm. It goes something like, Wait for God and have hope. Be strong and let your heart take courage. And that just is kind of a breathtaking moment for me. The idea in Hebrew, the word that is translated wait, can also be translated hope. So it seems to me when I'm teaching or doing workshops or leading worship, I'm inviting people a lot into the quality of a spiritual life that is optimistic and hopeful and at the same time patient and kind of surrendering to our agenda or surrendering our agenda to something bigger that's going on. And this is not necessarily a popular message in religion because we tend to hear the opposite in pop culture that's, you know, you deserve anything you want and you should be able to get it right now, baby. And it's all about you. Well, so wait for God is, it, it has sort of an Advent season feel to me, the idea of waiting and preparing, paying close attention to what's happening inside and around. So this is called Wait for God. Wait for God. Be strong and let your heart take courage Wait for God Be strong and let your heart take courage Wait for God 
much in hope Be strong and let your heart take courage Watch and hope Be strong and let your heart take courage Watch and hope Stay with me Be strong and let your heart take courage Stay with me be strong and let your heart take courage Stay with me And watch and hope And wait for God Ooh. Inspirational words from the 27th Psalm, Wait for God, written and performed by Richard Brooksford Colligan. He's with us here today for Song of the Soul. I also feel that a number of the Psalms are very good, uh, you know, food for the heart, good food for depth and reflection and wholeness. Some of them get kind of bloody. And even, you know, the 27th Psalm it is talking about, you know, make me victorious over the other guy. You know, this back from a period where the perception of God was, you know, this is the God of Israel and the other gods, you know, make us triumphant over the others. Did you have to wrestle with that at all as you were doing your music on the Psalms? No, I just sort of avoided that. And, you know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there is a lot of tension in these ancient texts. And from psalm to psalm, I mean, there's 150 of them, and a lot of them, well, all of them, I think, are very passionate. There's none of them that are just like, God, I'm having a pretty good day. You know, I'm just sort of chugging along. I mean, there's none of them like that. They're passionately full of praise and joy and thankfulness, or they are bitterly disappointing, you know, or screaming at God, asking God to repent because you've, you know, messed up my whole life. And then there are those psalms that are cursing psalms, like you're talking about, that not only have to do with violence, you know, and asking God to help me out do this violence, but sometimes saying, you know, really, God, you know, I'm asking you to do some damage here. And at the end of the day, you've got to do this for me. I'm entitled to this. So there's a lot to wrestle with there. Things that our sensibilities now, probably there's been some evolution, as happens in all traditions. My hope with working in the Psalms is to be true to those texts, but also kind of reinterpret them, which is also an important part of the Judeo-Christian tradition. For example, there's some Psalms that you know, are really particular, like I'm praying to the God of Israel, and we know there are other gods with other names, but let me just say in this Psalm, I am praising you, Yahweh. And in this particular moment in history, this is what's happening, here's the context, and I'm crying out to you because I've, I've been beat up and somebody burned my crops and people are talking bad about me in town. There's something about that story in that snapshot that might be important, that might be a connection, just in terms of story and emotion. And in the Psalms, those moments are framed as faithful moments. And that 
is something that's interesting for 21st century spiritual people to grapple with too. Because a lot of times we avoid that. We, we think, I don't know, middle-class Anglo-Christians at least that I tend to be with a lot, <laughs> tend to, I don't know what our deal is with, with laments. We tend to think, oh, we shouldn't really be mad at God. We shouldn't, I mean, God might be embarrassed. and it's <laughs> God might be embarrassed, right? <laughs> well, maybe God doesn't know, you know, or maybe God hasn't noticed that we've had a number of wars happening for centuries and We'd really rather have peace, but we we shouldn't bring that up. God's probably on it. God has people, things like this. But in the Psalms, those moments of rage, those moments of anger, frustration, as well as joy and thankfulness, are set as faithful moments. There's a way to be angry and to have that be fine, have that be good, have that be an honest prayer. I guess that's what I find at the bottom of, of the Psalms. If we're immersed in those texts, It'll make us more honest as we pray. Even the laments and even the the things that struggle with politics, environment, how we deal with people that are very different from us. Those are wise words. Give us some more wise music, if you would. Well, this next song is from Psalm 32. You get me started on the Psalms and I'll just go on and on and on. Good grief. This psalm is called Unfailing Love. And here's your quick Hebrew lesson for this. The uh, Hebrew word here is hesed. You can say it with me if you like. Hesed. Actually, come on. Let's. Isn't it really more like chesed? Let's. Let's do it. <laughs> yes. I'd have to wipe off. I'd have to wipe <laughs> off the phone though. So. And that is sometimes translated unfailing love or steadfast love, perfect love. It's God's unchanging, covenant, wonderful, unrelenting, holy love, and that's what shows up in the Psalms a whole lot. This is the kind of love that's real and that God claims us in, this unfailing love. The verses sort of track the actual lines in the text. This song was produced by John Hermanson of Story Hill and Alva Star fame, and I, I just love what he did with it. This is called Unfailing Love. Try so hard to cover it up, avoiding the truth, pretending to be strong. Turns out I can cover it all There's no need to hide When everything's gone wrong Come and begin again Come and begin again Unfailing love forgives it all Unfailing love, a brand new start No matter what, we trust in God Confessing our need, forgiven together Come and begin again Come and begin again Unfailing love forgives it all Unfailing love, a brand new start No matter what, we trust in God's unfailing
was choking me, then I heard the words of his love come and start over, come and begin again, well, come and begin again, unfailing love forgives it all, unfailing love, a brand new start, no matter what, we trust in God's unfailing love forgives it Richard Bruxford Colligan, his song Unfailing Love. And that's a pretty rocking chorus you got there. I do like it. I mean, you know, you start out a little bit more melodic, a little bit softer, and then you, you really build up the energy there, some of that passion that you say is in the Psalms. How long have you been on this journey of psalming? I've been psalming. I like that as a, as a verb. I've been psalming for about seven years, I think, and probably another three or four years before I finish it up the way I want to do it. It started after I graduated from seminary. I'm not ordained. I, my degree is in theology and the arts. But I really missed, after graduation, the sense of community and just studying, the sort of immersion lifestyle there. And I decided, after we moved back to Strawberry Point here, I remember mowing the lawn and I'm thinking, man, I need a project. I need, a, I need something that's going to have a big arc to it, some project large enough to keep me busy with uh, small pieces to it, but it's got to be big. So I decided what would happen to me as a songwriter if I immersed myself in these songs of ancient Israel? The word psalm just means songs. So when you open up the Hebrew Testament to read the psalms, you got to know there's a groove there. There's sort of a melody. Those are meant to be sung. And I love that. It's been a wonderful journey. It sounds like a great one. We've got a lot of your music to share, so I'm just going to invite you to continue right on into another song. What should be number four on the master plays list for Richard Bruxford Colligan? Uh, this next song is called Ground and Source of All That Is. Part of my seminary experience was being just deconstructed, as many students are, and then sort of reassembled or reimagining, what do I really think about things? I thought I knew what I believed, and those were sort of true, but, you know, a person evolves, and different language fits in different seasons of life, and we have only to sort of look in our own history to see how we evolve. For instance, the way you prayed, if you're the praying type at six years old, is probably different than the way you might pray now. Probably different images, different language is important. Even the way you think about what God is like might change. So one of the things I was introduced to at seminary was something called process theology. And process theology is simply a way of imagining God as not a theistic model, not a like a big person in the sky, but more as a as movement. God is what's happening now and what has happened in history and what's emerging naturally next. So just a, a way to think about a different scale of the Holy One. So there are many, many ways to imagine God. I like to invite people into that when I do workshops and lead congregational singing. So this song, Ground and Source of All That Is, is kind of a list of names and images and models that I've appreciated from various traditions, and some of them I just made up also. And the title comes from a Lutheran theologian, Paul Tillich, 
who had a name for God as the ground and source of being. It's kind of a rare song form. This comes as a hymn, so there's just many verses and sort of a refrain. And if you catch on, you can probably sing that little refrain at the end. The ground and source of all that is One that anchors all our roots Being of all ways and forms Deepest home and final truth We live and move in you We live and move in you source of all that is. While Richard Bruxworth Colligan is the main singer there, you'll notice another beautiful voice in there. That's your wife, isn't it? It is. That is my beloved. Her name is Trish, and we do a lot of work together, too. I love singing together with her. Is that her main pastime? You said she's a freelancer as well. She is. She's a musician and also a trainer of spiritual directors, and she has a, a women's community that she supports with training and kind of continuing education called Anamkara. Her passion is around women's spirituality. 
she considers herself a story midwife. The idea there is that we all have a story to tell in our lives, and sometimes we need help excavating exactly what has happened in our experience. And so to have a spiritual director with you is like a, a midwife helping you give birth to that. And let me just guess, did you connect up somewhere around seminary? No, actually, we met at a Lutheran Bible camp years ago and got stuck working together. Got stuck working together. Hmm. That doesn't sound real positive. Well, she didn't like me at all at first, so and that was fine because I was married to someone else at the time, so it was kind of safe. But no, she didn't like me at all. And we just got to working, and I think the second CD she recorded with me in my studio you know, as we just sort of started to get to know each other, and we found each other again down the road of life and, and got married. And to Trish and me, our partnership is really a kind of a spiritual practice to, to pay attention to each other and to pay attention to your life as you kind of hold a family is a rich and bewildering and wonderful thing <laughs> and an amazing place to be. So Trish and I find ourselves in that kind of life together with our 10-year-old son, too. Well, your music is so wonderfully across the board here. I wonder if you'll give us another sample quickly. Yeah, sure. This is an older song. I had to look it up. I wrote it in 1998, and it's a song uh, I consider my loudest song ever written. On the same day I wrote this, it was New Year's Day, I remember I was on a solitude retreat. On the same day I wrote this very loud song, I also wrote what I consider the quietest song that's ever come out of me. This is called She Was Running Wild. The main character is a, is a woman, and I don't know what it's like to be a woman, obviously, and I can't know, but as I listen to women talk about their lives, it's, it's clear to me that they get a very different set of expectations thrust upon them about what it means to be messages from family and from media and religion and just all kinds of voices. And I've always been fascinated with an embodied spirituality. I guess I find that a lot in, in Celtic spirituality too. Very connected to earth, very connected to this body here that I have. So this song features a female who has a story. And we don't really know what her story is, but it's about her mind and her body and her spirit and her vocation. And I guess her sense of purpose, maybe. We don't necessarily know what her story is, but it's like, as a listener, we're witnessing a breakthrough, some sort of breakthrough moment in her life. So to me, uh, this song is kind of an archetypal human experience. And I guess I'd say it's about discovering freedom. The song is, she was running wild, maybe just running wild. Let's cut loose with some Richard Bradford Cullen.
Running Wild, Richard Bruxworth Culligan here today for Song of the Soul. This is Song of the Soul, and I'm your host, Mark Helps Meet. This is a Northern Spirit Radio production. Go to our website, northernspiritradio.org, and on that site, you'll find all of our archives of almost seven years. You'll find links to our guests, and there's multiple for Richard Bruxworth Culligan. You'll find them on the site, and you'll find a place to make donations, to comment, and to connect. And we do love connecting with you. Make this two-way conversation. Again, nordenspiritradio.org. Now, Richard Bruxworth Culligan is here with us today. He's got multiple websites. One of them is worldmaking.net. You'll find his liturgical-type music there. RichardAcoustic.com is his singer, songwriter, folk musician persona. And River's Voice, you will find him with his wonderful wife, Trish, making music together there. And you also have a blog out there. You want to talk about that, Richard? Oh, sure. So for, before I forget, Mark, thank you for this show. I just don't know anything like it in the whole world. I just love it. When I found your archives of all these shows that you've done over the years, I couldn't believe it. It's like an encyclopedia of creativity. So I just love the show. Thank you for what you're doing. Well, thank you. I started the blog a year ago. I just noticed that the other day when I did a little thing. I love writing, and most of the time what I write generally condenses into a song form, but not always. So I worked at a local church, Lutheran Church in Cedar Rapids, where I got to preach about every quarter. And so I got to think about, okay, what if my idea doesn't come out in a three-minute song? What if it's like a 12-minute sermon instead? Or what if it's a workshop sort of thing? But I came to a place in my life where I just wanted another channel to put some ideas out there. It's called World Stretching, kind of related to worldmaking.net, where I do that musical stuff. My tagline is, spiritual imagination coming true, world stretching. And I guess it's the idea that sometimes our experience of life has tension in it. And to me, that's creative. That means something is growing, that something is strengthening, something is getting ripe. So when you feel tension between ideas or in a relationship or in your thoughts, that's probably because there's life there. And so pay attention to where there is a stretching um, so I just put out some different ideas there that invite people to, to think and grow and thrive. You come from a definitely religious perspective, and you're one of the founders of the Progressive Christian Artists Network, PCAN on Facebook. How were you raised religiously? How do you identify now? Uh, what gamut of religious or spiritual expression do you speak to? 
uh, I was raised Christian and in a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, which is, tends to be a more conservative denomination, very liturgical. So um, I learned there to really value the liturgy, a structure and a, a sense of order to things in gatherings. I went to Luther College for my undergrad and discovered the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Um, when it came time to go to seminary, I looked all around and found the perfect program for me, and that was through a UCC, United Church of Christ, seminary in the Twin Cities called United Theological Seminary. And these days, I guess, I certainly bring a liturgical sensibility to things. I like talking theology with people as a starting place. I like that doctrine is one way to get at what's important to us, but not the only way. So in that way, I'm a good consultant guy. I'm a good sort of freelancer because I can kind of speak that language. But I'm also trained as a spiritual director. So often, if the starting place can be doctrine or theology, to me, the conversation is most interesting when it also moves to the heart, when it moves to what's your experience? Tell me, you know, your story about that, about, you know, what grace is like. Or, you know, what does it feel like to be forgiveness? Or how is it that we struggle with our callings, you know, and what is our work to do, our play to do, our place in life? So I tend to bring a perspective that, that wants to always integrate those things and listen carefully to each other in the community. When I think about what tradition might claim me, I think <laughs> I think I, I write a lot of songs that are used across denominations. These days, I think I'm most in touch with Lutherans and UCCers and United Methodists. I pitched a couple songs to the Presbyterian USA as they are designing their new hymnal, and we'll get word about that soon. But I, I love the idea of sort of being inserted into the trajectory as these mainline denominations, as theology and spirituality evolves. Share some more of your music with us, Richard. Sure. Uh, this next song is a song for kids. And it's one of my favorite ones that's ever come out of me. It's what you call a cumulative song, and it's really fun. It's cumulative because the verses kind of stack up on top of each other to this big fulfillment at the end, kind of like the house that Jack built or the 12 days of Christmas. So this song, which I just call the seed song, is reciting my favorite parable in the Gospels. And now it starts to sound boring, like a parable from the Gospels. Oh, geez. But anyway, it's, it's my favorite parable. In the Gospel story, according to Matthew, there's this long chain of these little stories that Jesus tells, and these little snippets in answer to the question, what is the realm of God like? And Jesus says, it's a treasure hidden in a field. And then he says, and, and it's like, oh, you smell that, everybody? It's like a, a woman kneading dough. And it's like a fishing net that you throw over to catch all kinds of fish that are going to be sorted out later. And it's this and that. And it's like, you know, in that scene, Jesus can't reach for enough stories and images and colors and flavors of what it's like to enjoy living in God's community. So it sort of comes in to my favorite parable, and it's just one sentence long, and it's well known. It's that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like this tiniest little seed. And as my... Uh, wife and son are beginning to cultivate our garden in springtime here. I'm thinking about this. It's the kingdom of God or the kingdom or the community of God is it's like this tiny, tiny, marvelous thing, which if you bury it and say goodbye, it, it grows into the largest of trees all on its own. It, like it knows just what to do. It's, it's kind of like magic beans from Jack and the Beanstalk. It has its own way. 
and it grows so large and thrives so great into this huge tree that it even becomes a place for birds to make their homes. So when I do this for congregations, I always invite kids up front, kids of all ages, by the way, to sort of act it out. So as the verses go by, as you hear them, for full effect, you should imagine a whole pile of kids on the ground and, and sort of reaching up to create this eventual tree, including birds tweeting and flapping and building nests. There's a seed lying here in the soil, a tiny seed lying here in the soil. And in that seed there's a promise of something great that no one can see. One day the roots break out and dive down, growing deep to hold it in the earth. From the seed that's lying there in the soil, and in that seed there's a promise of something great that no one can see. Soon a stem pokes up from the earth Springing up to sing a little song And the roots are going deep To hold it in the earth From the seed that's lying there in the soil And in that seed there's a promise Of something great that no one can see Then little buds appear on the stem Which stretch into lively little shoots From the stem that sprouted up Sing a little song and the roots are growing deep To hold it in the earth from the seed that's lying there in the soil And in that seed there's a promise of something great that no one can see Now every shoot bears leafy, leafy leaves Leafy lush big bunches of green That came from the buds that stretched into shoots From the stem that sprouted up to sing a little song And the roots are growing deep seed that's lying there in the soil and in that seed there's a promise of something great that no one can see now in time our shrub will grow 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 into a tree with great big leafy branches reaching to the sky 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 which is seen from high above by a family of birds flying round looking for a home, home, home and the birds decide to build their nest in the tree with the great big branches reaching to the sky that came from the buds that stretched into shoots with the lush green bunches of leafy Stand that sprouted up to sing a little song with the roots growing deep to hold it in the earth from the seed that broke open there in the soil. Within that seed was the promise of something great that no one could see. Until now. Now that's the right way to do a parable. It's from Jesus' parable about the seed. It's sung by Richard Bruxford Culligan. The Seed Song. By the way, how many CDs, releases do you have out there in the world? And do they come in different flavors? Are they, do they come out as River's Voice, as Richard Bruckford Colligan? How do they come out? We do have a number of kind of labels that we package things under. The River's Voice is my wife Trish and I together, and oh, I just love singing with her. And we tend to do a lot of songs that are contemplative, that can be used in worship services, but also other contexts. 
Um, what I have on worldmaking.net tends to be me, uh, all my writing, but I always invite Trish to sing with me on those records because, oh, she's just a brilliant musician uh, and plays piano on a lot of them too. And then the singer-songwritery kinds of things, I just have my stamp on them, my name on them. I guess it's part of a thriving life to just love a lot of different kinds of music and writing for a lot of different occasions. So follow the links from org to richardacoustic.com, riversvoice.com, worldmaking.net, and also to Richard's blog. It is worldstretching.wordpress.com. All those links at org. I think we're at that time where we're going to have to conclude, but I think we've got time for just one last tune. How can you send us off with this song of the soul, Richard? Very good. And thanks again, Mark, for having me here. This last one is another psalm, and we'll call this the benediction of the show, I guess. It's kind of a quieter song, almost like a lullaby. It's from Psalm 23, which is probably the most well-known psalm of them all, and probably of, of all of the newer or older testament that people tend to know. In Psalm 23, it's Yahweh as a shepherd, and the shepherd is characterized as being a caring, nurturing figure. And for a lot of us across cultures, that's a feminine image. So this song has a feminine character, and it's called My Love is My Shepherd. The melody comes from Johann Sebastian Bach. I'm proud to be a co-writer with him. And it just has two verses with an interlude in the middle. The interlude in the middle is for breathing deeply and letting your imagination go where it will among the images there. So we'll take you out for today's Song of the Soul with My Love is My Shepherd, Richard Bruxford Culligan. I'm so thankful to have had you here today, Richard. I'm so glad to connect up with you. I hope people will track you down, maybe track you through Progressive Christian Artists Network on Facebook, many other ways. And I hope they'll just come visit that corner of Iowa, which is definitely the question, feel the dreams, when they ask, is this heaven? You know, it's Iowa. (laughs) They got it right. (laughs) They got it right. Thanks so much for joining me for Song of the Soul. You're welcome, Mark. Thank you. My love is my shepherd. My shepherd, I need nothing more For she leads me into her lush pastures of green And beside her still waters My life is renewed today Guiding me on the best paths of her way Though I walk through the valleys of darkness and fear My love is with me Of my enemies, 
and all my secret fears. My soul lacks for nothing now. Goodness and mercy are following me every day of my life, and I'm forever home in the presence of love. Ooh, la la la. My love is my shepherd. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy That in the light it will heal you And you can feel you And sing out a song